Amen. It's always great to be able to join in worship with y'all, and um, this Sunday with um, Pastor Brooks out, I get to come and be able to, to share in God's Word with you, and um, just be able to share a little bit of the things that are on my heart in the last few weeks and days, and um, so it's a privilege to be able to be with you. I hope y'all can bear with me a little bit. Um, I'm, of course, the um, children's pastor here, my name is Jason Gamble, and uh, most weeks you'll find me upstairs on that hallway, almost most of the morning. And um, so even when I get in here on Sunday mornings, it's usually in the first hour once all my Sunday school teachers are in place, and I know that everything's nice and calm up there. But even in those cases, I don't get a chance to be able to share in worship and um, be able to hear the choir and be able to join with the choir and um, sing along with them. So it's a blessing to be able to be here this morning and being here in this hour. And um, so it's great to be able to be with you. Um, this week, I wanted to share with you something that um, over a few weeks ago, I've actually got a parent who came to me, and um, we've got to get together with her son because he's been asking some questions. He's been asking questions that adults struggle with. He's been asking the question of, how do I know that God is real? It's a very big question, especially for um, one of our third graders to be asking, but it's a big question that sometimes we as adults ask. And um, sometimes we phrase it in different ways. And he's saying, I know since I was a child, I've learned these things. I've studied God's word. I've heard in Sunday school. I've heard at home. I've heard at school because he goes to a Christian school. I've, I've heard these things that, that God is real and I know who he is. But how do I know that God is real? So today we're going to just take one little approach to that, one little look. That's a big question that people have talked about for thousands of years. So we're going to just take a little bit and we're going to go back to a source that is always the best source to start with. And that's, the, that's God's word. And um, so if you want to open up to Isaiah chapter 40, that's what we're going to be looking at today. Um, today, what I wanted to focus on, and if you look at Isaiah 40, you'll see that often this question comes up at the times when it's not easy. It comes up at times when it's difficult to have that faith. Um, people don't ask the question, how do I know that God is real on the bright and sunny days when everything is great, usually. Sometimes they do, but often this question, most often this question comes up when things are hard. And today, what we're going to be looking at is we're going to be looking at this ultimate question of where is God? We're going to be looking at it in the midst of suffering and difficulties. Because so often, as Christians, as believers, as non-Christians, people are asking the question, where is God when they face the worst of life? When they're facing the worst that life can give to them, that's when they're asking the question, where is God at? Sometimes the question doesn't even mean, how do I know he exists? It's just, where is he? I don't feel him right now. I can't experience it right now. I don't understand. And if you read in Isaiah chapter 40, you see a people, you see the people of Israel, and they were asking these questions. They were saying, where is my God now? Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, for the first 39 chapters, he gives them prophecies of how they are going to be basically rejected because of their sin. Their sin and their rebellion has just heaped up on top of themselves. They've come to the point where they trust in their kings, they trust in their, their people, they trust in their military might, they trust in themselves, but they don't trust in God. They have a reign of kings who some come and they do the right thing, but then in the very next generation they'll turn around and do the wrong thing all over again. And God is saying to them, I want your attention, but more than that, I want your love, I want your devotion, I want your focus. And so for the people that Isaiah is speaking to, he, he lived through the reign of over four kings. And for the people that he's talking with, he's saying to them, we need to come back to God. But unfortunately, they were going to face consequences for the choice that they had made. Now, not every suffering that comes in life comes about because of consequences of choices that we've made. For the people of Israel, that's exactly what they were facing. For some of us, it's just living in a world that's tainted and scarred by sin. The evil in this world that often we contribute to brings about a pain in this world that was not a part of God's original creation. And so not every suffering comes about through sin directly. But in the case of these people, it was that reason. And in 1 through 39, Isaiah brings prophecies of God's judgment. He says the Assyrians, 
all the people around you, all the people that you've trusted in, your human alliances, all these things, they're going to turn against you. The false gods that you thought were your favorite and you thought that they were the ones that would bring you deliverance, they're not going to bring you any, any hope at all. So in Isaiah chapter 4, though, he brings a new prophecy for them. And the rest of Isaiah is, is a prophecy of hope and it's a prophecy of comfort. It's where you read the prophecies that relate to the Messiah and how they would be delivered and how they wouldn't stay in this place for the rest of their lives. He, he prophesies of the Babylonian captivity, but of how God's going to bring them up out of that through ones like Cyrus and using even pagan kings to be able to work in their lives. So Isaiah 40 is a big changing point in the book of Isaiah. It's a major point to look at. And from Isaiah 40 on through the end of the book, you, do, you start to see more of God's hope for his people, that he doesn't forget his people, he remembers his people. And when they are at the point where they're asking, where is God, he's saying, I'm right here with you. So if you open up to Isaiah 40, we're going to start in verse 25. We're going to read through the rest of Isaiah 40 this morning. Isaiah 40, verse 25. Let's read that there. Isaiah says, this is the words of God, really. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all of these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Haven't you heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. When you read Isaiah 40, you know, many of you know those last verses of Isaiah 40. You might not have known where they were, but you've read them, you've sang them, you've heard them. And you know this is a message of hope. It's a message of restoration for his people. It's not something to say that, the place where you've been is where you will necessarily always be. So God's bringing a new message of hope for them. But they continue to ask that question of where is God? Today, we want to know that, that God, he is always with us in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our pain. Whatever we're going through, God's right there with us. We have a comforter who has lived with us. He's walked this earth with us. And he is right here with us every day. So you don't need to say, where is God? You need to know that God is right here with you in the midst of it. We're going to look at three responses that point us back to Christ, point us back to God, and help us to refocus on Him. These reminders, these responses, they help us to see that, that this world, it's not all there is. And the pain we're going through is not necessarily a promise of pain for the future. God may have a new hope for us and a new plan. So today we're going to answer these questions. The first thing I want to show you is that in Isaiah, he says, we must remember God's unequaled power. You must remember his unequaled power. In Isaiah chapter 40, there in verses 25 and 26, he tells us, he says, look up to the heavens, look up to the skies. See, for the people of Israel, they would have been surrounded by countries and nations. If you look back at their history, you see how even in Mesopotamia, even as they were starting in the days of Abraham, as they were put into captivity in Egypt, as they were brought out of captivity, as they went into Canaan, something was in common in every one of these nations they went to. The world religions that they were surrounded by, they were surrounded by a pantheon, just a huge array of different gods and goddesses that they believed in. They were, they were surrounded by these things, and constantly 
they were constantly being tempted to adopt these things and take on these gods into their life. And see, Isaiah here in verse 25, he says, I want you to look to the stars. But don't look at the stars and think about the gods that you heard about in Egypt. Don't look at the stars and think about the god that the Assyrians worship. Don't look at the stars and think about the gods that the, the Babylonians will build, build huge temples to worship and think about. He says, go up to the mountains and look at the stars. And don't worship those stars. Instead, turn your worship to the one who created the stars. Worship the one who brings them out every night, one by one, little by little. Brings them out and holds them into place. When we're in the Philippines, we can, um, we can see darkness like we've never seen it before. There's not a lot of street lights over there in the province where we go to. Manila's different. There's lots of street lights and lots of noise. But when we get into the province, it gets dark. It's kind of like if you go out on Tybee at night. Um, it gets very dark out there after a while if you get away from the pier. We usually don't stay around too long after that. So it gets dark out there. And you can see, many of you who've been out on the ocean and further out than I have, you know how dark it can get. And you can start to see the stars come awake at night. And these stars, they just light up all around you on a nice, clear night. And for me in the Philippines, it's always encouraging to see those stars and to think, 12 hours ago, my family saw those same stars. 12 hours from now, my family's going to see those same stars. It's the same night sky. We're almost in the same, you know, same area, almost in the same north-south direction there. We're close. We're a little bit further in the tropics in the Philippines, but I know that night sky is similar to what my family would have seen. It encourages me to know that all the way around the world, I'm seeing the same sky that my family saw. God put the stars into place. God created them. They were one of his first creations. And he holds them in place. He continues to hold them in place. God tells us to look at his creation, not as an admiration for his creation, not as a source of our worship. He tells us to look at his creation as a reminder of who he is. Sometimes it's hard to see an invisible God. He is invisible. And we don't see him right here face to face with us. We don't see our invisible God, but he shows us all around the effects that he is here. Here's one example that Billy Graham used to use. You may have heard it before. He would say, you can't see wind, but you can see the effects of wind. Something we like to use in children's ministry. Sometimes we use this on the mission field or at um, block parties. We like to use special balloons. Now, you can't see the wind that's going to come out of this pump. If you came up here, you could feel the wind, but you're not going to see it. But if I take this air, and I put this air into this balloon, now you can see this air. You see the effects of this air on this balloon. You see that the pressure in this balloon is greater than the air pressure on the air outside of it. And you can see that this balloon is now filled with air. You couldn't see the air before I put it in there. Now you can see it. You might not be able to see what the air is doing, but the air is holding this balloon in place. And I can take it, I can twist it, I can make something out of it. I can fill this air up in this balloon, push it to the places where I want it. The balloon holds it in place, and now you can see the air in a new way that you didn't see it before. Now, this is just one little example. There's even more powerful examples that God uses all around us all the time. I have to use my toys occasionally. <laughs> Does anybody have some hair that they don't mind getting messed up? This is not a trash can with a lid. Believe it or not, this is not a trash can with a lid. This is a um, precise instrument. So, let's see. I don't know. No ladies in here want their hair messed up, I don't think. So, it really won't mess your, up, mess your hair up. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to see if you can feel this from up here. Dan, are you ready? 
Okay, if you feel it, I want you to raise your hand. Try to hold real still, though, okay? Okay, you ready, Dan? You feel a little bit on the side. My aim's not great. Okay. All right. Dan may be a little far away. How about I try this? Did anybody see the air that came out of this cannon? Nobody saw it, right? Now, I could take this, put it in a little bit of dry ice, make a little bit of fog in there, and you'd start to see the air. You'd start to see the effects of it. You can see the effects of the wind. You may not see the air around you, but you can feel it. You can feel the cool air blow it on you here. Now, I know some of you are cold, but I loved it when I came in here. I've been hot all morning. You can see the effects of the air around you. When a wind blows, you can feel the wind around you. The Bible tells us in John 3.16, Jesus said, he said, the spirit goes where he wants to. You don't see the wind, but you feel the effects of the wind. Well, God, he shows us his effects all the time. We don't always see God, but if we're smart enough and slow enough to take a look around and look, then we can see that God is working all around us. His first way that he shows us himself is through his creation. It's called his general revelation. In Psalm 8, you can go and read a great psalm that, that, that says the same message of this. Turn over to Psalm chapter 8. Flip there in your Bible. Psalm chapter 8. Here the psalmist, he says that, that we need to look at God's creation, not, not as a place of worship for the creation, but to remind us of the Creator. Look in verse 1. Psalm 8, verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Look at this in verse 3, Psalm 8, verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands and you put everything under his feet all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Psalm 8 is a praise to God, worshiping him, that his creation points back to us and says, we're little, we're nothing. Look at who created this world that we live in. The very air that we breathe is made so that we can exist. The earth is put on its axis at just the right point away from the sun so that we can have a world that can live and thrive and produce things for us to live and breathe. God has created a wonderful place. And we look at that and we think, he's put us in this place where out of all the wonderful creations, he says that we're his chief and greatest, that he loves us so much. So when we look at his creation, it points us back to remember his unequaled power. Isaiah would say to the people over in Isaiah chapter 40, he would say, look at the heavens, look at the stars. Remember the one who made them. The false gods that these people around you worship, that when they look at the stars, they worship those things, those things can't help you now. Your unholy alliances with nations that God never told you to make alliances with, those won't save you now. You need to remember God's unequal power. The one who put this world in place and made it so that you can live and breathe and, and stay here, he's the one who will care for you. So we look to God, we remember him, we, we call on him because of his great power and his mighty strength. He's the one that holds the stars in place. Surely he can take care of our lives and take care of the problems that we face. He's the one who's unequaled in power, but not only is he unequaled in power, he also has complete wisdom. So we need to trust in his complete wisdom. 
Look in Isaiah chapter 40 again, verse 27. It says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. He's, he's calling out to them and he's saying, these are your charges against God. You say God doesn't see you. You say God doesn't justify you. That He doesn't come to your case. He doesn't come and, and plead your case and stand up for your rights. He calls them Jacob. He's pointing back at one of the patriarchs who didn't always have the best reputation. A man who had run from his own family and run from God. He points to Jacob and says, you're acting just like he acted before he came back to me. You think you can run off and hide, but you're not hidden from me. He says, why do you say these things, Israel? Don't you know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. If you look there in Isaiah chapter 40 and verses 12 and 14, he says something similar here. He says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of God's hand? Or with the breadth of his hand, who has marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? See, we worship a God who is far beyond anything that we can understand. He's far beyond anything that we can put together with our own hands. They had exchanged the worship of God for false idols that could be carved out. In Babylon, they believed that the gods themselves lived in those statues that they worshipped. They would put food in their mouths thinking they had to feed them. This is what the Israelites would be tempted to worship. Instead of worshipping the one true God, the one who had created the wood that those statues were made out of, the one who had created the stone, they were, they were exchanging the invisible God for the creation that he had made. And he said, you need to trust in his complete wisdom. The one who started this world, the one who will end this world, the one who put it into place for us. No one can measure his understanding. No one can test his wisdom and be able to stand up against it. We trust in his complete wisdom. He asked them things that they should have known since they were children. Don't you know? Haven't you heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He's eternal. He's the one that goes on and on when all of us fail. He's the one that created us. He's the one that put this in place for us. He is the one that, even though he is outside of our view, he's outside of our understanding, he can see the things that we don't understand. He can see the start. He can see the finish. In Matthew chapter 6, 25, Jesus told his disciples, he said, do not worry. Do not worry about things. He says, look at the birds of the air. Look at them. They don't work. They don't go around struggling over things, but God takes care of them. Look at the lilies of the field. He says Solomon and all of his best robes never looked as good as them. And God takes care of them. He provides what they need. When we're faced with difficulties, our first response to, is to trust the one who has a complete understanding of those difficulties. Turn back to him. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul gives us similar instructions. Turn over there to Philippians chapter 4. He gives us a response. This is his conclusion to his letter. And you have to read Philippians understanding that Paul was in chains. Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter. And listen to the words that he could say from the pit of a prison as he wrote these things. Philippians chapter 4, looking at verse 4. 
He finishes up his letter in this way. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So when we're faced with struggles, when we're faced with difficulties, things that bring anxiety on us, we're called for to, to not be anxious about those things. We've given a response too, though. It's not just said, well, don't worry about it. There's a response on our part. Don't be anxious for anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So we have a place to go. We have one to go to. We, we trust in the one whose wisdom is complete when we don't understand what's going on. We trust in him and turn to him because he's the one that sees it from start to finish. And he gives us a promise. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. A few weeks ago, I got to hear a testimony about someone who had this type of peace. There's a young man named Caleb Chapman. Most of you have heard of Stephen Curtis Chapman, his dad. And a few weeks ago, they were here in Savannah, and we got the chance to be able to go and hear them. And they called it A Night with the Chap Chapmans because it was a different sort of concert. If you know about Stephen Curtis Chapman, he's a Christian music artist that's been around for about 20 years now, over 20 years. And, and the Chapmans, in 2008, they had a tragedy happen in their life. As one of their sons was coming home in his car, came around the corner of the house on the driveway, and one of his sisters got in the way of the car. And she was running to him. He didn't see her. She was struck and killed that day. And the Chapmans have dealt with so many things. They've had this burden on them, but at the same time, you've been able to see a story of a family that, that has gone through suffering, they've gone through pain, and they've been able to look at it with a full and complete trust in God, believing in Him and who He says He is, even on days when it doesn't feel like that God is there, even on days when they say, where is God? And um, almost as if he was coming out of the songs of one of Stephen Curtis Chapman's songs, um, the, the words there, there's a song that Stephen Curtis Chapman wrote in early 2000s, 2001, I think. It's called, God is God. The chorus says, God is God, and I am not. I can only see a part of the picture he's painting. And Caleb Chapman, he had this, this thought days before the memorial service, and he shared this at the memorial service. He said, I feel like right now everything's a mess. He told his dad, he said, everything's a mess right now, and he shared this that night, the concert. He said, this is how we felt. Everything's a mess. When you look at our life right now, it's chaotic, it's crazy, and it's a mess. But he said, I think over time, we're going to start to be able to back away from this a little bit. He said, I know that over time that we're going to start to see a little bit more of what God's doing. He said, it's like right now we're really close to a mural. We're really close to a painting. And over time, we'll be able to step away, and that painting is going to start to take shape and form. And some of it's going to make sense, and some of it still won't. And what they shared that night was that you can step back further and further and further away from your suffering and pain. It may not happen the day that you're in the midst of it. But even now, two years later, as they've stepped back and they can look at it, they don't enjoy the pain, they don't enjoy the suffering, but they know they can trust in the one who's making this painting. They know they can trust in the one who sees it from start to finish. And although their part right now is crazy and chaotic, they can trust in the one who has the whole painting in his hands. They said, right now, we're never going to see it completely. Not this side of eternity. But God is able to step back 
He can see how this painting fits into the overall painting of his entire creation, his entire work. And one day, this little part of the painting is just going to be a part of his beautiful picture for what he created us for and how he's caused us to be here. And we know that through it all, that his grace, his love, his faithfulness, his wisdom, none of that has ended. But he's always right there with us. In Romans chapter 11, Paul would be able to say a praise to God, thanking Him for who He is and the wonders of of how great He is. He says, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments and His paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor? Who has ever given to God that should God repay Him? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Paul was able to praise God and to say, He's the one that's created us. He's the one that sustained us. He's the one that has ultimate and complete knowledge and wisdom. When I can't trust, when I can't understand anything going around me, I can trust in the one who knows it all. I can trust in the one who has complete wisdom and the one who will see me through. The next part, not only do we remember that his power is unequaled, not only do we trust in his wisdom, that it is complete, but he gives us a next part for us to do, another response. In Isaiah, back in Isaiah chapter 40, we see what that response is. Our response, as hard as it is, is to wait. It's to wait for his renewing strength. We're not waiting for nothing. We're waiting for his renewing strength that he brings. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29 After saying, don't you know, haven't you heard? And he points to who God is, understanding his wisdom and his power. He says, God gives strength to the weary, and he increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary, and they will walk and not be faint. The promise that Isaiah gives to us there is that even though we become exhausted, even though we come to the end of ourselves in the midst of pain and suffering, we can trust in the one who's going to give us strength. In verse 29, he says, He gives strength to the weary and power to the weak. Wherever you are, no matter how far down you feel like you've come, God is there to lift you up. If you're worn out and tired from the suffering or the pain, the difficulty that you go through, God is there to lift you up. If you feel like, I don't even have the power to stand, I don't even have the power to get out of bed in the morning, God is there to give you the power you need so that he can fill you further. And he says that we are to wait for that. We wait. It's not just sitting back and waiting like, oh, well, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to sit here. We wait. We hope. We have an expectation of God working in our lives. It's built in faith. It's not just, well, we'll see what happens. It's waiting and expecting for God to move. We're expecting His strength and His power to come through to our lives. The one who created this world, surely He can give us the power to be renewed. He says that in this world there are people, even the best of the best, even the strongest young men, eventually they're going to get tired. Eventually they're going to fall down. They can't go on forever. But the power, the strength that He gives to us, when He renews us, when He gives us a fresh strength, a change in our strength, the strength that we never had before, 
when he refreshes us and refuels us with his power and his strength, that power that he gives to us, it's a new power. It's a power that gives us the ability to soar on wings like eagles, taking us closer to the sun. Not the sun that shines in the sky, but the sun who saved our soul. It's a power that allows us to run without weariness, that we can press on, we can excel. It's not just getting by, but it's a power and a strength that causes us to excel for his glory. And even though it sounds like it's going down its crescendo, that it started with soaring on wings like eagles and running and not growing weary, at the end, you can walk and not faint. Even if all you do is just go through the day, you can do it without fail. You can do it in the power and the strength of God's might, that he can help you through it, and he can bring you through it. Many of you know our story of a year ago and what we've dealt with, and it's only been in recent weeks that we've even been able to kind of just share it publicly and be able to talk more about it. I preached back at Christmas time, and I only kind of alluded to the things that we've gone through. For those of you that don't know, a year ago, we, we had some bad news at, at 35 weeks in a pregnancy, and we found out that our little boy, that, that he had a, a hernia, in his diaphragm, something I had never heard of before even happening, and that before he was born, we were able to see that on the ultrasound, and they could tell that something wasn't right. And it was hard for us to hear those words, but we pressed on, continuing on in faith that God would lead us. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 became one of our favorite verses during that time. As we trusted in the Lord, as we remembered that that we put our faith in him, And as we did, he made our paths straight. He made it clear to us where we needed to go, what we needed to do. There were always so many choices, so many decisions, so many places to go. Which hospital is the best? Which place is the best? Which doctors do we see? He made it clear. He opened up doors that couldn't be opened in our own power and in our own strength. As we followed him, as we allowed him to work, we saw him do amazing things in that time. We saw our new baby be born. And we had little victories all along the way. Because they told us the delivery room is one of the most crucial places. If he doesn't get put onto a a breathing machine immediately, he may not make it. We got to see our little baby. We got to be able to talk with him and touch him even that day. We got to see him come into this world and live and breathe. We spent that time with him. He was in neonatal intensive care from then on. And we were able to spend that time with him each and every day, going to get to visit with him, being able to see him. And it wasn't easy. But sometimes Paige and I look back and we think, were we just ignorant at times? Did we just not realize how bad it could be? And maybe we were, I don't know. But I think that God's grace, he gave us the strength that we needed to get through each day so that we could be able to spend our time with our son and be able to just enjoy that time with him. Be able to enjoy the memories that we could have with him. The Lord took him home 28 days after he was born. And it was hard. It was very hard. And it's hard to even talk about it still. Paige and I have kept the communication going throughout the year. It's not something that we always share in public. But it is something that over the year that God has told me and made it clear through his word that each of us have a story. Everyone in this room has a testimony of how God's worked in your life. And though I didn't want to walk that path of suffering, and it's not something I would have ever expected. I've never seen my parents go through anything like that. I've never seen my grandparents go through anything like that. I know that God was with me through it all. And I know that every one of us, regardless of what our story is, that God wants us to share that. And so even though it's hard and even though it comes with tears, we just want everyone to know that we still see God as faithful. 
we still see him in his strength. We still see him in his power. Even though I can't understand it, I trust in the one who does. I trust in the one who can see it from start to finish. I have faith and confidence that my son is with him. I know that he loves the little ones. I know that Jesus himself showed his disciples, don't keep them away from me. My son, he never had the chance to do anything wrong. So I believe confidently, as David would say, that I can't get him back to me, but I can one day go to be where he is. I believe those things. And most importantly, I believe in the one who created me and created him. I believe in the one who came to die for my sins, who lived this life, who cried when he saw his friends die, who stood before the tomb of Lazarus, his friend, and cried before he brought him up out of that tomb. So I believe in the one who comforts us, who also suffered with us. And I know that he has a strength for me. And even though sometimes we're weary, even though sometimes we get worn out, and sometimes we can even be powerless, I trust in the one who has all the power, who has all the strength that I could ever need. And I know that he can give me that that I need, that he can give me an excellence in this life, that he can help me to excel for him and live for him as I follow him. See, sometimes we can get like the Israelites were, and we can look around and say, I can do this on my own. I can handle this. You know, I'm fine. This is fine. We're moving on, pressing on. God doesn't want us to try to do it in our own strength. He doesn't want to try to remedy it through our own ways or what this world can offer us. He gives us one to turn to in himself. He tells us to call on him. He calls for us to trust in him. And now... A year later, we're starting to get to the place where 1 Peter could say, in 1 Peter 5.8, one of our favorite verses now, as we look forward to what God has in store for our lives, our time's not over. He's called for us to continue walking and living for him. 1 Peter 5.8 says this. It's a great verse for anyone going through these things. It says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world, they are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. You might read that and think, well, he was just talking to the early church, people that were getting thrown to lions and suffering for their faith. Well, you know what? That was the persecution they faced. But he also named an enemy. The enemy, the devil. He roams around like a roaring lion. And you know, we may not face the same types of persecution that our brothers and sisters in Christ face around the world. But I do believe that all perfect and good things come from the Father above, as it says in Hebrews. And I do believe that the chaos and the destruction and the suffering we see is an end result of the sin in this world orchestrated by the devil. So I may not be facing the same type of suffering and persecution as my brothers and sisters around the world, but I do see any suffering that I face as an opportunity to trust in Jesus Christ and to realize that it's not just about the same old things that everybody else goes through. Because as a Christian, I have a decision. I have to decide how do I respond to that suffering. Do I see it as something to defeat me and destroy me? Or do I see it as something that I can turn back to my Father and trust in him. W.A. Criswell, he said in one of his works, he's a pastor that, that lived up until the, the 1980s, great pastor and leader. 
He said to this, he said, the world is either a place where there is no God anywhere, or is it a, pla- or it is a place where the one true God is everywhere. There is no middle ground. This world is either without cause, without meaning, without purpose, without destiny, or else it is our Father's house, and He keeps watch above His own. So I believe that this is still our Father's house. He created this world for us. He watches over us. He sees us. I have to remember that He's still in control. His power, it's unequaled. His wisdom, it's complete. He sees it from start to finish and to the end. And His strength can renew me each and every day when I trust in Him. Right now, as we go into our time of invitation, I just want to encourage you. Unfortunately for every one of us, suffering is a part of this life. You may feel like up to this point, suffering hasn't been something that you've gone through. If you haven't, unfortunately, every one of us will eventually face it. It's a part of this life. It's not part of what God created this world to be like, but it is a consequence of what sin and death have brought to this world. We have the chance to be able to trust in the one who created this world. We have the chance to be able to turn our lives to him. That hope and faith, it starts with a faith in Jesus Christ. Mike was preaching my sermon for me just a little bit ago. No matter what you're going through, it has to be grounded in faith in Jesus Christ. The only way that you can have this power, this strength, this hope, this encouragement that we talk about, the only way you can have it is through Jesus Christ. When he takes our sins away, he gives us a new life. And it is a life that goes on forever. When Peter wrote to the Christians in the early church about how they could persevere and one day they would see that suffering end. Many of those Christians he wrote to, they would never see the outside of a jail cell again. They would be thrown to the lions. Peter himself would die for his faith. His life ended in suffering. But his life here on earth was not the end. He had a faith in Jesus Christ that goes on forever. And as he and the other saints were called into the kingdom to live forever with God, they saw before them how God has a plan for them. Even in your darkest days, you have to remember the one who sees it all. He's the one that can care for you and strengthen you no matter what you face. Let's stand and sing as Nathan comes to lead us in our invitation. And right now, I just want to encourage you just for a time of prayer. You might need to come forward to pray. You might, need to, you might need to just pray right there where you are. But I just encourage you to trust in the one. He suffered with us. Jesus Christ came to this earth. He experienced everything that we've ever experienced. He was tempted in every way that we are. And yet, he did it without sin. He struggled through things in daily life. He was tired. He was hungry. He was, he was often to the point of exhaustion. He saw things that broke his heart. He saw a people that he loved so much who had rejected their God. He saw friends and loved ones who died just from natural causes. And it broke his heart. He wept and cried and suffered alongside of us. And ultimately, he suffered the worst. He suffered the greatest because he carried on him the sins of us all. That's what Isaiah will go on to point to. He'll point to the Messiah, the one who came to take our sins away, The one who, even though we looked at him, he may not have looked graceful. He may not have looked like a king even, it says. But he was the one who took our sins. He took our troubles. He took our pain. 
He put it on him, and the Lord put it on him so that we wouldn't have to bear it anymore. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer, start your faith in Jesus Christ today. Upstairs in the children's ministry, we talk about a simple ABCs. It is that easy. It's the same for all of us. We admit that we're sinners. We know that Jesus Christ, we believe in him, that he came to take our sins away. And we want to follow him. We choose to follow him. We confess him as our Lord and Savior. And we stand up to say, thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your life-saving grace that gives me a new life in you that goes on forever. We stand for him and follow him with all of our lives. If you're here today and you need to trust in Jesus Christ, there are people down here who would love to talk with you about that. But maybe you're here today and you're just going through a lot of difficult things. Take the time to pray. If you want to come down here, someone will pray with you. And we can just encourage you that God hasn't forgotten you. He still sees you. He still remembers you. Your way is not hidden from God. And though you may feel like what you're going through isn't justified, God still knows you, He sees you, and He can see your walk from start to finish. Right now, let's sing, and whatever you may need to do, just come and pray before the Lord.